0: Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now, here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Okay. Did anybody bring me a Reese's ch- chocolate egg? We got a Okay. Well, you're now my second favorite service of the day. No, I'm just kidding. First service didn't bring me one either. Don't go bring me any, I, don't, I really don't need any. I was joking about that, all right, for, for reals. Um, I want to tell you uh, about a passage of scripture I was reading in my personal study time in the last week or two that made me think about Easter. And it's Proverbs 30, we're not going to put it up on the screen, I'm just going to read it to you. There are three things that amaze me, no, four things that I don't understand. How an eagle glides through the sky, how a snake slithers on a rock. How a ship navigates the ocean and how a man loves a woman. Happy Easter! <laughs> I know you're thinking, well, what does that have to do with Easter? Well, here's here's how my mind works. All right, I'm thinking about that. I'm reading about this. I'm reading this passage of scripture, and I'm thinking about how you know what those things were amazing to David three thousand years ago or more, and they're still amazing to me today. You know, I I, I don't know if you've ever Google sometimes how an eagle flies, and you'll see how amazing it is. They rarely ever flap their wings; they usually just come off, and they they somehow can sense when there's an updraft, and they will ride that updraft without ever flapping their wings thousands of feet in the sky. And they have they're one of the most efficient flyers in all of creation. And you know what? We've we've come up with ways to to imitate to the best of our ability. We can fly. We've got. You know we've got planes, but we've never been able to imitate what God created in in a simple bird. And it's amazing to me to just watch them. I mean, have you, you you hardly ever see pictures or whatever of eagles with their their wings down, except when they're swooping down to grab a fish or some some other unsuspecting animal. And that's the only time you ever see them flapping their wings. And they can fly for hours upon hours without ever moving their wings. And that that's an amazing thing to me. And what it really kind of got me thinking about was how we live in a culture where everything is, is geared towards new. You know, there's all these new theories and new books about history and new thoughts about this, and, and we're so caught up in new and improved. And, and, and we live in a culture, and one of the things that really concerns me about, particularly some of these younger generations, is that, that they think that they give um, so much importance to something new. And we've dismissed the old, you know. Old people don't know anything. I mean, if you're a a young parent, you know, you don't ask your mom, hey, how did you deal with this? You look it up on Google. You know, if you're like, well, I don't understand, you know, you're at a workplace, and well, how do you deal with this problem? You don't go ask this veteran who's over here and has been working there for 20 years. You, You look it up on YouTube and you look at a video. And here's the thing is we've gotten this thing in our minds that, that all this new, that modern is, is superior. And the fact is that, that modern is not a very good basis for life. It's not a good purpose for living. And there are truths that go back beyond the foundations of the world that should affect us today and really are the only things that are worth investing your life in forever is something, if something is really true, it's not just true for now. It's not just true in America. It should be true for all people, whether you're in Africa, whether you're in Europe, no matter where you are, if something is really true, it should be true for any people from any time frame. It should have been true 2000 years ago. It should have been true 3,000 years ago. It should have been true in the 1700s. If it's really true, it's always been true and it's always going to be true. And anything else is perspective and subjective and something that's that, yeah, okay, maybe right now, but it's not something to base your life on. And so what I want to do today is, you know, the, the Easter is the foundational truth of Christianity. But because without that empty tomb, all the rest of it's pointless. And so it's a truth, but it goes beyond the foundations of the world, eternity backwards, and it's also going to be true in eternity forwards. And so I want us to look at, I want you to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to read the verse that talks about the, the very first truth. Some of the, I mean, some of this is going to be really simple, probably all of it. Because you know what? timeless truths, they're simple. Now, it's not always easy to get to them, but they're always simple. And so the first truth is that there's a God. You know, and there'll be people that'll argue with you about that. And one of the things that, that we know there's a God by is arguable. At least people think so. Well, you know, here's the deal. If you want to believe that two rocks collided in space and out of that came everything that you see and our ability to think to reason, to love, to laugh. You think that came from two rocks climbing together? You got a lot more faith than I do, man. That's all I'm going to tell you. I mean, good luck with that. Because to me, that takes this amazing amount of faith. That would be like me going out into the, into the into a pasture, and I had all of the parts of a Swiss watch in my hand, thinking that if I threw it up in the air enough times, that at some point it would just come down as a fully functioning watch. There's a better chance of that than what you believe about two rocks colliding, causing throughout history. So that's all I'm going to say about that. But, number one, there is a God. And if you'd please stand in honor the reading of God's Word, we're going to read Revelations chapter 1, verse 8. And this is God Himself speaking. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, there are a couple things about that. Is Number one, it it speaks to God's timelessness, that you cannot date him. He is eternal backwards. And I'll be the first one to admit to you that I have a hard time grasping eternity at all. Because I was born in a a body that's not going to last, that only lasts a certain number of years, in a world where everything has an expiration date. I mean, even the world we live in has an expiration date. There's going to come a time where all these things are going to be consumed in fire and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so everything around us has an expiration date. You know, the Bible tells us that our days are numbered before we've yet had as one of them. And so my my body has an expiration date. And so we're born as eternal people. God's also told us that the scripture tells us he's put eternity in the hearts of men. So somehow we know there's something beyond what we know, and beyond what our life will be here on this earth. Every culture that's existed on the earth has had some kind of form of understanding that people aren't going to die just because their bodies die. And that's because God put that in us. That's been implanted in us and embedded in us by the God who created us. And he is a timeless God. He is the Alpha, is the alpha and Omega. Those are, that's the first and the last letter in the Greek alphabet, and he, what he's saying is, he is the beginning and the end, and he's even before those, and he's after that. He's eternal. I'm the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. And and here's the thing about, if there is a God, and if you get to that point where you recognize that there is a God, then he has authority. He has authority over the over the earth. If he created it, and if he created you, then he's the one who gets to say, hey, this is this is how life works. This is how things are. This is a sin. This is thing these are things that offend me as, as a holy and a righteous God. And sometimes that's hard for us to grasp as people. It's hard for us to grasp the whole eternal aspect of it. But there is a God. Now, here's the thing about timeless truths. You cannot discover them on your own. You know, if you look at all the inventions that we have, the things that, you know, are, are the great turning points of society. You know, we know who, who kind of discovered supposedly the qualities of electricity, and, and that Benjamin Franklin. You know, we've all got that story about him with the, the kite and the key on it, and he, 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 he had that experiment with electricity and lightning. Now, if you want to talk about light bulbs, you know, you got Edison. And Edison's, you know, or um, Tesla, or whatever you want to say, but they're the ones who kind of determined the currents of electricity and how that worked. There's a name behind that invention. You know, if you want to, now if you go ask some teenagers who invented the phone, they'll probably tell you Steve Jobs. But the fact is, that was invented a long time ago by a guy named Alexander Graham Bell, right? There's a name to that invention. There's, there's, there's names to everything that's been discovered or invented. You know, electricity was just discovered. Who discovered or, or named the properties of, of uh, gravity? Well, Sir Isaac Newton. We have a name behind those discoveries. But there's no name behind discovering God. We don't say, oh, well, here's so-and-so. They discovered God. Because you can't discover something that is greater than your ability to grasp it. And so you don't discover that there's a God. It has to be revealed to you. And that's why even in that last book, the book we read from is called the Book of Revelation, there are things that God has to reveal to us. And He revealed it to us in 66 books with over 40 authors over hundreds of years. And it's the revelation, this word is, of who He is. And so it has to be revealed. And it's revealed, first of all, through His creation. Romans 1, 20 through 22. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything made, they can clearly see, through everything God made, excuse me, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Every society has tied, that, that understands there's something beyond them, that there's some greater power to them, they've tied the works of the earth, the creation of the earth to those entities. So that somehow we know that this world that we live in and this universe we're in is proof there's a God. And it says here, so even though they have no excuse for not knowing God, it says yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. You know, the the world that we live in now, they don't generally deny the existence of God. There's only a few still that do that. But what they do is they've decided what they want God to be, what they're comfortable with, and they've determined that that's who God is. Well, surely God is this way because I think that way. And so they've made up in their own minds what they want God to be. And that's the God that they say is there. But here's the problem with that. You can have all these ideas, but if it doesn't match reality, then you're just wrong. You know, when uh, Meriwether Lewis and and, uh, General Clark, William Clark, put together the core of discovery to go and, and, uh, and explore the new, all these new lands that had come through the Louisiana Purchase all the way up into the, to the Northwest. And that's what happened is they mapped all these rivers, they discovered all these lands, they found all these Indian tribes, but that wasn't their main purpose. Their main purpose was because every scientist in the world, told them. Every scientist in America would tell them that if they could just get to the Continental Divide, they knew where that was, and get up to the top of the Continental Divide, they would look over and they would see this body of water that would take them. They could just float in their canoes down this river all the way to the Pacific Ocean. They knew the Pacific Ocean was there, and they all told them, this is what it's going to look like. It's going to be like some rolling hills, and it's going to probably come from the reason they headed out to try to find the headwaters of the Missouri River was because they just knew that all the scientists told them that from that headwater, there would be this, this waterway that would take them to the Pacific. And then when they could find that, they could open up trade routes to the whole world that would go right through America. And so that's what they did was they built these boats and they were prepared. They learned how to make canoes and sometimes the Indian taught them. They knew some things too. And when they got up there, Meriwether Lewis walked up to the Continental Divide expecting to see what he'd been told and it took him almost two years to get there. So they've, they've invested their lives, risked everything to find this waterway. And so he gets up there and he doesn't see any bodies of water. All he sees are snow-capped mountains As far as he can see in any direction. There is no waterway that goes through the Rocky Mountains. There isn't one. There's no waterway that connects the Atlantic to the Pacific. It doesn't exist. And so here's the deal. He had a choice at that point. He could tell all his men, hey guys, come on up. We're gonna head down this mountain in canoes and then paddle up the other side. There were two to three hundred miles of nothing but huge Peaks of mountains between them and where they wanted to go. And so they could have either just said, well, we're going to stick with that. And we're gonna, I mean, canoeing down was probably, you know, pretty fast. But then try canoeing back up. That's where you got a problem. And so what they had to do was they had to adjust their thinking from what they thought it was going to be to what it actually was. And see, here's the thing if If there is a God in this this passage of scripture says that he has revealed himself to people through creation that's one of the ways that's just how they know there's a god you see the, the 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 team Lewis and Clark knew there was an Atlantic Ocean they knew there was a Pacific Ocean they knew there was a continental divide, but what they thought was wrong about what was after, and so they changed. Their, the way they were going. They, they traded the, with the Indians for horses, and they got a guide who was an Indian guide who was an old man and, and forgot the route two or three times, so it took them a lot longer than it had to. But they finally got through. And see, here's the thing, is you can keep canoeing away, keep paddling, because you want God to be what you want Him to be, or you can embrace the reality that God is who He is. And it doesn't matter whether I like it or whether you like it or anybody else, He is who He is. And we adjust our reality to who He really is. And so He's revealed Himself through creation. And then He's also revealed through the Bible, through the Word of God, through this. See, that's the thing. Is it, one of the reasons why God used so many authors is so there's, not, there's no discoverer of God. These things were revealed to, to dozens of men over the years, over the centuries. And yet it all points to one God. You can go back to, to Genesis and find um, that he talks about the, the Trinity. God, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now, they're not named. The Son's not named. But it talks about we and they when it's talking about God in the plural. It talks about and shows in in uh, the, the story of Abraham and Isaac when he took him up onto the mountain and was about to uh, take his life because God had commanded him. God stopped him and there was a ram in the thicket. That's one of the first times in Scripture where we see a picture of who Jesus is going to be for us. Jesus is all through the Scripture. That's one of the amazing things about the Word of God is once you look at it back through the lens that we now have, you can see how God was telling the story all the way through it, even with all these different authors. You see, that's the thing about God is not intending. There are things we can't understand, but God doesn't intend to be a mystery to us. He wants us to know Him as much as we're able, and as much as we can here on this earth. And so in John 1, 1 through 1-5, it says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. That's the name that is given to describe Jesus. He is the Word. And that word, in the Greek, it means logos, logos. That's where we get the word logo. It's an exact representation. When you go somewhere and you see that little swoosh on a pair of sneakers, you don't have to go up to them and go, hey man, who made those? You know, it was Nike. When you see that, that red circle with the, the white wavy thing through it, you know it's Coca-Cola. Those logos were designed so that we can understand and know what's behind it. And the same thing is true about Jesus. When Jesus was created and came to the earth, it was so we would know who God was in a more full and complete way. He's always been the Word, the exact representation of who God is. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus goes back before the foundations of the world. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never... Extinguish it. You see, God cannot be defeated by evil. He cannot be overcome by darkness. He is eternal. And one of the things that God, the ways that God revealed Himself to us was through His Son. When Jesus was born of a virgin on Christmas, and we celebrated that a few months ago, it says in John 1.14, So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You know, when we see Jesus in the Scripture, we see God. Because they're one and the same. We see without sin. We see someone. And here's one of the deals that is true, and it has always been true. You know, sometimes we think, we even struggle with knowing this. But it's a simple truth. God loves you. God loves you. It says in uh, John, 1 John 4, 7-8, through 8, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You know, that's the thing. Love is God's character. It's not just something that He does, it's who He is. And when Jesus came... He showed us, through His death on the cross, the ultimate love. He showed us what love is, and that shows us what God is when we see that. God loves you. You know, here's one of the amazing truths. He's always loved you. He's always loved you, Ephesians 1, 4-5, even before He made the world. God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing bringing us to himself through through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You see, here's one of the things that, that you need to understand is that God knew who you were, and he loved you before the world was even created. He knew you. Now, that kind of blows my mind. I I admit, I don't. How can that be? But that's because God is bigger than we are. I want to read that to you again. Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us. You know, it made Him gave Him great pleasure. Even knowing, you see, He also knew that we were going to rebel that we were going to sin, that Adam and Eve were going to sin in the garden, and that that sin was going to separate us from him. He knew that even then. But you know what it says? This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. In other words, you know, we're, we're big about counting the cost of things, aren't we? You know, you, you hear things, well, you know, I, I, I mean, all the time we're thinking, well, should we do this? You know, it'd be easier to cook or to, to go out to eat, but then you start counting the cost. You know, there's four of us, man, that's 50, 60 bucks on the cheap. We're staying home. You know, you count the cost. You even see people deciding not to have kids because there's a figure out there, oh, kids cost you this much money, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I don't want to, no, I'm not going to do that. But you know what God thought when he looked at you? He didn't think about the cost. He decided to do it because he wanted to do it, and it gave him pleasure because he's a God of creation. He's a God that loves to create and he loves to give life. That's what he does. He didn't look at you and think, oh my gosh, that one is going to cause me some serious trouble. He didn't. When he looked at you, he created you because he wanted to and because you give him great pleasure. You know, my my daughter and son-in-law brought our granddaughter over last night and you know we spent the whole evening you know they went out to eat and it was just us and the baby we spent the whole evening just looking at her I mean you know sometimes you get a little arm going or you know she'd I'd have her in my lap and I just stared at her the whole time you know and sometimes she'd like smile and she'd like, you know and I, I mean we're and the whole time we just we wanted to watch and to see and you know what we have this idea that God's thinking man all right you fix the mess up and bam, I'm going to zap you. That's not how God's looking at you. He's watching you because he loves you and because you give him pleasure. Matter of fact, even before you were born, God loved you. When you were created in your, in your mother's womb, and yes, only women can have babies. I'm throwing that in there for free, all right? Psalm 139, 13 through 18. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. You know, it's amazing. Have you ever, you know, when something small goes wrong in your body and you go in and, and you start thinking how easy it is for stuff to just get out of whack? Do you ever just get amazed that we can live very long at all? I mean, it, it, anybody, I mean, all this stuff has to happen for us to even breathe. I mean, some of you are like, having a hard time breathing now, just mentioning that. But we are, we're made with complexity. You know, we don't even usually have to think about breathing. We don't have to think about reaching out and grabbing something. Because it's just, God created us to be able to do that. We're made to be able to see. I mean, to me, the, the human eye, if that doesn't prove to you there's a God, I don't know what would. I mean, that, that you can look and to, to identify someone else and see what they're doing. And I see if y'all are falling asleep, by the way. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> just kidding. You can see. You, you know how far away somebody is. I mean, that's, that's miraculous. And that's how God created you. God created you to, in a complex way. And all that was knit together by his hands. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. God saw you. He knew you before you were born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. You see, God didn't just create... You're not an accident. You are created. Intentionally created by the hand of God. Because He loves you and because that's what He does is create and also because He has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for you. And you will only find that purpose... Within these timeless truths, within finding and recognizing and embracing truth, that's where you find purpose. You know, man, this world is filled with people that are passionate and willing to fight about this and fight about that. But the reason they fight about all these things that that you'd look at sometimes and go, "Why would you fight about that?" You ever you ever wondered? It's because they don't have a purpose. It's because. They, they know deep down they should have a purpose, and they want to have one. But they end up fighting for things that don't matter because they don't know what does. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand, and when I wake up, you are still with me. God knows your every thought, your every movement, everything. Everything. And he's not watching you to to see you mess up. He's watching you because he created you and he formed you and he loves you. How how is his love revealed to us? Well, it was revealed and it was planned before the foundations of the world. Revelation 13.8 says, and all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. This is talking about some of the end time prophecies, which I'm going to get into in the next few weeks in a new sermon series, which you'll hear a little bit more about later on. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the Lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. You see, before before anyone was created, Jesus knew that He was going to have to come and pay the penalty for our sins. He knew that. And yet God chose and Jesus chose to create anyway because they're creative by nature. It was chosen before the world was made in Romans 5, 8, and 9, but God showed, he demonstrated his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know, sometimes you get thinking if you've been a Christian for a while and you're, man, you know, God's done some works in your life and you start thinking, well, you know, I mean, I'm a pretty good person, but I want you to understand something. Christ died for you for your worst moment your absolute worst moment. You know, the one thing that if you could go back and stop time for just a moment and not do, He died for you and loved you just as much in that moment as He's ever loved you. You See, that's the thing about God's timeless love is there is absolutely nothing that you could do that would make God love you any less. And there's nothing you could do that would make Him love you any more. Because he, he He is love. And His love is never conditional. Now, 1 Peter 1, 18-20, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. So what's the life that we inherited? We inherited this this sin nature. You know, one of the things about watching a baby grow up, and I I love watching them is, you know, you're always, I mean, there's always a race between the parents, to see if they can get them to say mom or dad first. Always dad, you know, at least it was with mine. Good kids. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But you know what neither one of us had to teach them to say? was no. You don't have to teach them to say no. You don't have to teach them to say, hey, now look, come here, I want to tell you, sometimes when we tell you to do something, you're going to have to say no because we want you to learn how to do wrong. You don't have to teach them that. Hey, when you're with some kid and they take your toy, bop them over the head with it, and then we're going to come correct you about it because that's not right. You don't have to teach them that. It's natural. It's in all of us. We inherited that. We inherited this sin nature. And the thing about sin is it separates us from God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. You know what death is? It's it's forever separation from God. And so that's what we inherited. But God paid a ransom, and that ransom was Jesus. Someone had to pay the penalty. Because, see, whenever you sin, and it doesn't matter whether you think it was a big one or a little one. sins is a sin. God is holy and righteous, and in him there is no darkness or turning of shadow. Completely without sin. And so every sin we commit separates us from God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Not just the wages of the big sins, all of them. They separate us from God. Because he's holy, and we're tainted by our actions. He paid a ransom to save you from the in, empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and that ransom was Jesus and he came and not only you know it, it, he didn't just appear and die on a cross, he was born and lived life for 30 years before he even began a ministry and during those 30 years he never sinned there was never a single person that came forward and said, "Hey I saw Jesus." Hit somebody when he was a, when he was a five year old, and it was a small world at the time. They knew who who he was. They knew who his parents were. But nobody could come up and say that he'd sinned. All they all they accused him was was of, of him claiming to be God. And guess what? He wasn't lying. So he never sinned. And so because he never sinned, he was able to pay the ransom for you and for me to save us from the consequences of our sin. See, that's one of the the things about God is he doesn't make anybody love him. Even when he created Adam and Eve, he didn't have to put a tree in there that he told them, don't eat from that one. But he put it there and he told them, hey, don't do it. But it was their choice. There's nobody that's that's been kidnapped by God. Ain't nobody taken against their will. It's always our choice. Because God loves you. It was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. See, here's the thing about the the blood of Christ, is it was shed for you and it was shed for me to cover our sins. And you know the thing about it is, It never loses its value. That's how it's able to cover not only the sins you've already committed, but the ones you're going to commit. Because it never loses its value. It's the precious blood of Christ, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose Him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, He has been revealed for your sake. See, that's the thing about truth. It has to be revealed. And you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the ultimate reveal. You know, my wife, she loves watching those um, home makeover shows, you know, where they go in and they remake a home, and then they, they come in for the big reveal. You know, and they close their eyes and look, and they go, oh! I mean, people people on that show apparently find Jesus, because they all say, oh, my God, whenever they see what they've done to that house. <laughs> yeah, that was a joke. I, Note to self, don't do that one in the services. All right, anyhow. (laughs) But there's always this great reveal. And they go, they're just amazed at the transformation. And you see, Jesus had been telling the disciples, hey, I'm God's son. You're going to see it. Y'all going to tear down this temple and I'm going to raise it again in three days. And they're like, okay, Jesus, sure, whatever. But guess what? They crucified him. They laid him in the grave. And three days later, they went back to check on it to put some some nice smelling things in there. And it was empty. You see, he didn't just say he was God. He proved it. He didn't just promise that he could deliver eternal life. He proved it. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ From the dead. You see, the cross is an awesome story that we might have talked about, but because of the resurrection, it's a life-changing truth. Because, see, the thing about Jesus is he's still alive. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change. And decay and you know what God did that for us but this is how we take it to be our own for this is how God loved the world he showed it he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life God sent his son in the world not to judge the world but to save the world to him through him John 14 6 Jesus told him I am the way the truth and the life No one can come to the Father except through me. There is no other way to be right with God, the God of the Bible, the God who created this world, the God of heaven, than through a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus proved that His words were true because He conquered death on your behalf and and mine. He proved that He was who He said He was. He said He was the... You know, there have been lots of people claiming lots of things throughout the years, throughout the centuries throughout the world, but there's only one that proved it to be true, and that's Jesus. There's only one empty grave. Only one. And you know what? Here's one of the amazing things to me. When you hear all the arguments about God or this or that or who Jesus is, nobody really even opposes the fact that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. They just try to ignore it. Now, they might say, oh, you know, that can't be true. Why didn't somebody prove it? Because they couldn't. And you know what? There's even more proof. God, 10 of those disciples, said, well, you know, those disciples made that up. Really? Because 10 of them, 10 of the 12, now Judas betrayed God and took his own life. And John lived and died of, uh, in exile because he was the one who was supposed to get the book of Revelation. But the other ten disciples, the ones who all claimed that they buried Jesus and then saw him resurrect, they all died rather than recant that. Now, have you met anybody? How many people you know? You know, y- y'all been, I mean, when we were kids, we'd do stuff and everybody would make a about, make hey, man, we ain't going to tell. When our parents find out, we ain't going to rat each other out well, it only takes till somebody's about to get a whipping before they give everybody else up. Am I right? And that's true with adults too. Everybody's in on a conspiracy until so, it's going to cost somebody jail time or whatever else, and then they rat all the others out. Because ain't nobody willing to die for a lie. Ten of them died. Maybe you could find one crazy person to be willing to die for, but ten, all of them, No one can come to the Father except through me. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus told her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Now this is how we have peace with God. God offers it to us, but He doesn't make us take it. God gave us a way to have all of our sins forgiven, to have right relationship with Him, to know we're going to spend eternity with Him in, in heaven. He made a way, but He gives you and me the ability to choose whether we're going to accept it or not. And here's how we do it. Romans 1, 16-17, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. See, it doesn't say anything about, well, you've got, you know, you got to live a certain way from now on. Hey, you ought to want to, but that's a whole other story. It's just believing what God did. Number one, you've got to know you're a sinner. You've got to admit it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've got to come to God and say, God, I've sinned. Forgive me of my sins. Second thing is you've got to believe Jesus is God's Son. He's not just some dude. He's God's son. He died on the cross for your sins, and he rose on the third day, according to Scripture. So you've got to believe in Jesus. And then the third thing is you've got to confess him as Lord. That if you believe in your heart that God raised, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. See, you can't do anything to make yourself right before God. He already did it. All you have to do is receive what He's done through faith. It begins and it ends with faith. Now, here's the thing about truth that is truth. Probably all of us could tell a story about how, you know, my my mom told me if I did this, this was going to happen, and I just didn't believe her, and bam, I ran into that wall or my dad told me, or this guy at work told me, or whatever. We all got some story like that, don't we? And that's the thing with truth. If you don't receive it, and you don't believe it, and you don't grasp it, at some point, you gotta be accountable for that. Jesus talks about it in John 12, 48, but all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken." See, nobody's going to be able to stand up to God in that last day and say, Hey God, you can't send me to hell after you've died here and you stand in front of him. You know what God's going to say? I gave you a choice. I sent Jesus to die in your place so you wouldn't have to. And you chose not to receive that truth, not to believe it, not to grasp it in faith. So you chose. And nobody going to be able to tell God. You can't say, well, God ain't going to send anybody to hell. You're right. He gave us the ability to choose. And this is the choice. You either grab on to Jesus in faith or you say, nah. But if you say no, then you're going to stand on your own two feet. See, when I stand before, before God someday, I don't have to stand on my two feet see Jesus stood there for me and so I'm not gonna be judged for any sin and I've got plenty trust me but I don't have to I don't have to be accountable for him because Jesus paid the price see if somebody said well what, what about his sin you said no 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 I paid that bill that bill's paid but if you don't take Jesus paying the bill for you you got to pay it yourself And you know what that means eternal separation from God And hell is not a pleasant place. If you took everything good and took it away, what's left is hell. There's nothing good there, but it's your choice. See, God doesn't coerce anyone, He doesn't kidnap anybody, He doesn't force anybody, and I'm not trying to do that either. I just want you to know what your choices are. And that truth that goes back from beyond the foundation of the world is there is a God. And He is a loving and creative God. And He created you. And He loves you. And He loved you enough that even though He knew you were going to mess up, He made a way where you wouldn't have to pay the penalty for all your sins. Jesus took it on for you. And all you have to do is receive it in faith. And so here's what I want to do for anybody that would like to. Hey, and if you don't want to, I want you to know we still love you. We're glad you came. And we want you to come back. We're not going to be mad at you. We're not going to be upset. But if if you know, if you want to be right with God, you want to know your sins are forgiven, that you have peace with Him here on this earth, and that you're going to be with Him forever in heaven. If that's you and you want to know that, what I want to do is lead you in a brief prayer. And there are going to be all kinds of whispers of the enemy, oh, you know, don't do that. Everybody thinks you're already a Christian. You don't want to do... Hey, forget about all that. This is about you and God. Then Then you're going to hear, well, you know, you need to go fix some things first. You don't fix things. Jesus fixes you. That's how it works. That's how it works for all of us. And you can't fix it anyway. But if you'd like to know your sins are forgiven, that you're right with God, and that you're going to be with him forever in paradise. I want to lead you in a brief prayer of salvation. And we're going to go through those three things I talked about. Admitting you're a sinner, asking for forgiveness, believing that Jesus is God's son, and then confessing him as your Lord and Savior. And if you'd like to know that you're right with him and you will be forever, you pray this with So I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads, close your eyes, please. And you pray this with me right now. You can repeat it after me. You don't have to pray it out loud. God will hear you. Just pray in your heart. But pray it with me right now. Dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. And thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and life. Cleanse me. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose on the third day according to scripture. And so today, I trust Jesus as my savior and I confess him as my Lord. Now, without anybody looking around, just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a couple more minutes. Here's all I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. All I want to do, because I want to pray for you today, is if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, I want you to look up at me and keep looking until I see you. Just look up at me right now. You prayed that prayer, okay? All right. Okay. All right. Now here's what I want to encourage you to do. You don't have to do this, but there's going to be a number on the screen. If if you're here with your parents, you just tell your parents after the service, hey, I prayed that prayer. And they can get in touch with one of us because what we want to do is we want to answer any questions you might have and also talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. And if you'd like, you can just text I did it to the number on the screen. There's a code um, that you can open with your, your phone's camera inside the bulletin you were given when you came in. And it'll give you a chance to do it that way. And we would love to set up a time, whether over the phone or in person, like I said, answering questions, to talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. And I I want you to know something. We're not going to ask you for anything. We're not going to bug you. We're not going to put you on a mailing list. We just want to help you with your decision. And if you decide not to come back to church here, we're going to love you anyway, and we'll still help you. Now, if you want to come back, we'd love to have you completely up to you, and we're fine with it either way, but we just want to help you. And so we would love to hear from you so that we could help you in that decision. As a matter of fact, John will be here at the end of the service right here in the front, and a, a man came forward after the service, and John was able to talk to him, got him a Bible, and we'll, we'll do the same thing for you if you need one. We'd love to help, and so I want to pray for you that made that decision and ask that God would help you that he would continue to teach you and lead you and thank you for coming and being a part Of today's celebration of Easter with our church So let's pray Dear only father. We thank you lord for your goodness. Thank you for your love for us And most of all we thank you for jesus While I pray for these that have made a decision today to follow you and Lord, I pray that you'd send other believers in their life to encourage them help them find the right church home Father, I know our church would welcome them, but so would others. And Lord, we just want them to find the right place that they might grow in their walk with you. Father, thank you for allowing us to be a part of their spiritual journey. We pray for blessings upon them. And God, just pray you'd show yourself to them through your word and through your will. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.